Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. Actually, five minutes late today, and I have about a full 60 minutes to talk, so that's not going to work. Plus, uh, Dan grabbed me this morning and reminded me of a situation we have uh, from a brother. You know, we're talking about Pilgrim's Progress. We're on week five, and if you know about John Bunyan, he was uh, thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. We have a brother who's related to the Master's Seminary, a good friend of our former associate, Brent Osterberg, and his name is James Coates, who preaches in Alberta, Canada. And as of last Tuesday, he was taken to court and put in jail for preaching the gospel and having church services because of the COVID pandemic. They refused for the church to meet. His wife and children are, have not yet, according to the article, able to meet him, go see him yet. And uh, his name is James Coates. Reminds me of Bunyan's experience, and it's still happening around the world and here in Canada, here on our side too. Kind of scary thought. So we'll, we'll remember Pastor James Coates um, with that. Well, good morning. Uh, you and I hold the record. Like, what record do we hold? This is the longest-running Sunday school series in the history, I believe, of Calvary Bible Church. <laughs> Only five weeks, but we started in the middle of November. <laughs> so you and I, we've uh, we've done. We said we should get a plaque up. No, we probably shouldn't get that either. Probably not a good. But nothing in comparison to Dan, right? He's starting Romans. Hopefully before I retire, we may get done with Romans. So we'll see. So we're on week five of Pilgrim's Progress, and we've been so divided up because of all these different things going on. Um, for the first week, as a recap, we talked about Bunyan himself and the book he wrote. It was published in 1678 about his life. It's infused through the book. Uh, second week, we talked about the, the big burden that he had on his back and his removal of that uh, at the cross and the story of his salvation. Um, this is an allegory of the Christian life for those of you who haven't been keeping up. And it's just a beautiful story infused with scripture throughout. Uh, the main character's name is Christian. And all these names have meaning. All the places have meaning. And so we talked a lot about those aspects. So in week three, we talked about the house beautiful, which is what? Anyone know? The church. Yeah, it's the church and the equipping of the saints. You see that spelled out really well uh, for Christian. He gets trained in, in the gospel and he gets equipped for the rest of the way. He goes then and fights Apollyon in the valley of death. All these are, are just symbols of the difficulties and trials we face in the Christian life. If you're not in one now, you'll be coming to one soon, likely. And... Uh, Pastor Bunyan gives us some good advice about how to walk through that. And then last week we talked a lot about friendship. If you remember, uh, he's given a friend named Faithful, and they go to Vanity Fair. One of them is martyred, and that is Faithful. And so they are separated in their friendship. We talked about that, and, and, and then by, by the 
king's grace, he's given another friend, and his name is Hopeful. And by their testimony, he's converted. He goes with Christian, and again, he has another companion. And we just talked about the need for companionship, close Christian friendship, how we just treasure those things. Uh, they make it through Vanity Fair. Now, Vanity Fair is a kind of representation of worldliness and our fight against the world. We talked about that. But very soon, they get caught by the giant despair and taken to Doubting Castle. And so you have that story as well. And then they, are, uh, they escape with the key of promise. And they are rejoicing to get back on the path. And that's where we pick it up today. This is our last week of Pilgrim's Progress, week five. And we're going to make it all the way to the celestial city. So with that, and I don't want to get too far away from scriptures, um, I want to pray and I want us to, to turn to Revelation chapter 5. And I'll read a, a passage there. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy that you bring to us in Christ. Uh, we thank you, Father, the promises that you've given to us in your word. We pray that you bless this time together, Lord, I pray that we would think about the story, but really about the truths of Scripture that are behind it. Uh, these are the things that give us real hope, and we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 5 is a beautiful picture of the throne room, and if you look in verse Revelation 5, verse 11, it says... Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Christian, think of yourself there. You're there, worshiping. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature, thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all in them, I heard them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a picture of our, our, our hope, the believer's hope. We have to have our mind set on. We're going to try to get that there today. So here's Christian and his new friend, Hopeful. They become fast friends. They've already been through the castle and despair. They've walked through that together. And then they come to the delectable mountains. You just want to go to anything called delectable, right? The delectable mountains makes you want to go camping. Um, it is a beautiful place, lush with fountains, uh, gardens, orchards, vineyards. Uh, there are shepherds there that are watching their flock. And they begin to ask them questions about, where they've been and uh, where they're going. This is a common theme in Pilgrim's Progress. Everyone wants to know who you are, where you're going, what's your story. And, and so you get these testimonies again and again throughout the book. So they ask them questions, and they ask them this interesting question. How is it you made it this far? Almost they were surprised. And the narrator, Bunyan himself, interjects himself, as he does frequently in the book, and he answers the question. He says, for only a few who begin on the way are ever seen in these mountains. Just a reminder, just a, a sober thinking about the path is narrow, right? The way is broad that leads to destruction, narrow that leads to eternal life. Very few find it. And Bunyan is just reminding us, be careful, believer, where you are with Christ. 
Make sure you're on that path. The shepherds uh, are watching over their sheep. Just a reminder of Christ's shepherding. This is a picture of the church again. These shepherds represent under-shepherds, like we have here at Calvary, other churches, uh, and they care for the sheep. Uh, Again, Bunyan again and again highlights and lifts up the the idea of the church. If you remember in the beginning, uh, the man named Evangelist is the one who's showing him the gospel and showing him how to get in to the gate. And they... um, he makes it there. He goes to the interpreter's house and the house beautiful. All this training with the church. Uh, evangelist comes back in again, and here you are at the end. And this delectable mountains really picture uh, Sunday morning. It's really a, a gathering together of the saints, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute. So he wants to highlight the importance of the church in the believer's life. And when the pilgrims arrive, Christian and hopeful, they make a full... Uh, doing of everything going on in the mountains. They, they wash in the waters, they drink the, the, all of the food, the water, and from the orchards they eat freely, and they rest. And the shepherds encourage them to rest. Uh, it's like the day of rest on Sunday. We come and we relax. No more fighting with the world. We're in unity. The scriptures are here where we can fellowship. You can exhale a little bit, right? It's a joyful thing. Um, in here, he lists, and I'll put your hand out, I've listed the names of these shepherds. They're all meaningful names, and I'd like for you, if you could, to write them down as we go, because I think they tell us something. Uh, the first shepherd's name is Knowledge. His name is Knowledge. It's funny, in the book, really, as uh, Bunyan does so often, he just mentions these things, and he moves on. And you're left to stop and camp out yourself and find out what is he talking about and why are these important. I'm camping out a little bit uh, on this section. The first shepherd's name is Knowledge. Uh, he, uh, he reminds us, uh, this is a description of an elder in your church. He's knowledgeable of the word. Uh, Titus 1.9 says that he holds fast the faithful word to, here's two things, to exhort and to refute knows the word enough to exhort you and to refute you if you're straying away. The other shepherd's name is experience. That's the next one. His name is experience. Just like the word says, 1 Timothy 3.6 says they should not be a new convert. They should be seasoned in a few battles and have some wisdom about them so they can offer to help others. The third shepherd's name is watchful. Uh, watchful, to watch out for the flocks of their sheep. Uh, I do want to read Acts 20, verse 28. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read this section here. He's talking to the elders there. I believe it's Ephesus. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Church is precious. To him, and the shepherds are to watch over them to, to make sure that uh, number one, they're not hurting themselves if you know sheep, and that there are no enemies about wolves to cause trouble. And the last shepherd's name is sincere. They really care about their sheep. They they agonize when the sheep are hurting. They rejoice when things are going well. They care for them for their safety and for their growth. Those are the four. Shepherds, and they just describe a, a good 
um, elder of a church that loves his people. This again is a, is a picture of the Lord's Day, I think. Uh, it's also referred to as, aka, another, otherwise known as Emmanuel's Land. Emmanuel means what? God with us. So this idea of you come together and God is meeting with you, tabernacling, maybe say, with you in, in the church and meeting with you as you worship. Uh, it's where you get a taste of heaven. Right here. If you're wondering what church is going to be like, I mean, heaven is going to be like, go to church. You're already here. You're saying, Ken, I'm already here. Right. Um, this is where you get to get to feel like, what's it going to be like with all your friends and we're going to worship together like we read in Revelation 5. There's going to be joy and our hearts need to be set there. Bunyan wants us to think about that. Uh, they are loved. Uh, the shepherds literally say they love them when they find out who they are. They want them to stay in their tent. They want them to eat and just rest. Um, and it gives us a real taste of heaven. But I just wanted to leave you a note here that it's an acquired taste. C.S. Lewis said, I have a quote in here. C.S. Lewis says, the problem of pain, the joys of heaven are for most of us in our present condition an acquired taste. In other words, it takes some maturing and some growing to really recognize what heaven is all about and to let go of the things of this world. When I was young, uh, my mother used to take us to a, a lady's house who, who watched us after school care. And then sometimes we would stay there all day. And so one day we were there all day. She served us lunch, and she served us tomato soup. No, not a big tomato soup fan at the time. Uh, it wasn't common in our house. My brother and I, we kind of rejected the idea of eating tomato soup. And she basically was of the sort that said, uh, you need to eat what's in front of you. We made a go at it. <laughs> we did. I don't know how to say this carefully, Rod. It went down, but it, it didn't stay down. And when one brother lost it, the other one did too. It was a mess. Sorry. <laughs> it wasn't good. But today, I love tomato soup. I don't know what happened. Something happened. My taste buds changed. Thinking of a good tomato soup at La Madeleine's or Jason's Deli with some grilled cheese. Ah, sounds good now. But what happened? My tastes changed. And your tastes, we need to grow in our desires. Our tastes of heaven, our desire for heaven needs to grow in our life. Pastor Bunyan is encouraging us not to think of tomato soup. Don't think of that. It's to think about the joy of heaven and what that's going to be like. Uh, it's not all happiness here in the Delectable Mountains. There's some warnings, and he does have advice for them. There's some teaching to be done. He takes them uh, first in the mountain to the mountain called Error. And it's a sobering thought. You can go up the side of this mountain, but on the end of it, it, on the other side, it's a very steep cliff. And as they look over, they see several uh, dashed bodies at the bottom. And he, he warns them, where these are the people who have come a long way in the faith and find themselves dashed and killed at the end. He mentions Hymenaeus and Pilatus, who, who were talking about the resurrection as if it had already happened, Second Timothy Reference chapter 2. And then he takes them to the, they take them to the mountain cautious. This is very interesting. They take them to the top of the mountain. They look down, 
they see blind men, it looks like, wandering around through the tombs. And they asked the shepherds, what are these? And they said, well, we'll explain this to you. These men are blind. There is a pathway that goes off the way called Bypath Meadow. And it leads to a place called Doubting Castle. And there's a giant there named Despair. And he catches his, his victims. And if he keeps them, he will gouge their eyes out and leave them wandering around in the tombs aimlessly. This is where Christian and Hopeful have been. And they begin to cry and recognize how they've been rescued and released by the Lord. And maybe you have been, had that experience where you can look back and you go, wow, only by the grace of God did I get escaped through that situation. You see God's hand. They begin to see God's sovereign care over them. Then they take them to a place, it's called the Byway to Hell. Now these are some hard things, and think about this, this is a children's book, right? Adults and children. Takes them to the Byway, they have them open the door up and look inside and there they see literally people screaming. They hear the mess, I should say. They're suffering. They're screaming in pain. The smell of sulfur. And they said it's a warning to all the hypocrites that make it this far that even here there's a direct path to take you to hell. He mentions Ananias and Sapphira, Esau and the Judas. All of them uh, were left and they died, where they were cast into hell, I should say. So they're shaking in fear at this point in these delectable mountains. But it ends well. They take them to a hill called Clear. Uh, it's a high point in the mountains. They're given a perspective glass, and they can look at one direction, and they can make out the celestial city and the gates. They can dimly see, he uses the term dimly see, the gates of the city. And they are excited. It's kind of a reminder again that, that where we get a glimpse of heaven, where we get a, the best vision we can see from here, is a church under the word of God, teaching and encouraging one another. If you remember when he was at the house, beautiful, he was also able to look forward and see the mountains, the, where he is now. So there's this forward-looking encouragement that we can give one another and that the Lord has designed for us. Here, they, they leave them with three important instructions. They're leaving the, the mountains, they've rested. Three things to remember, uh, pilgrims. One, we're going to give you written instructions, because the way is still kind of precarious. Written instructions to guide you on the rest of the way. Beware of the flatterer, the one who would draw you away. And there may be more than one. And then the third one is, do not sleep on the enchanted ground. Tends to make you sleepy. Don't, don't sleep when you get there. Bunyan inserts himself again in so many places in the book, and he said, uh, I woke from my dream. And then he says, I fell back again. It's kind of in between the lines telling you that he's writing this in prison. He's probably released for a while, and then he's, then he's taken back in, like the pastor we read about earlier. Now he's back in prison. He starts writing again. He goes through a series of characters. I'll just call them deceived and deceiving. And there's an important character here whose name is Ignorance. You don't want that name. 
Ignorance is a, a foolish young man, headstrong from the city of deceit. He's an important character. He shows up several times, actually, here at the end of the book. He's uh, kind of depicted as unteachable and prideful. Doesn't really want to carry on that much conversation because he thinks he's got it all figured out. Uh, he has no documents. You may, if you remember, the pilgrims need certificates to get into the city. He doesn't seem to have his, and he doesn't seem all that concerned about it. They challenge him about why, and he, he talks about, well, I've paid my debts, I, I fast and I pray, and I give to good charities, uh, and I'm sure by these things, the Lord will be pleased. He'll let me in. And the pilgrims try to correct him. No, works will not get you there. And he fights them and argues, and they say, okay, we're going we're gonna to let you ruminate on that for a while. We're going to go on ahead, and maybe we'll come back to you, and, and they do. Uh, you see another character called Turnaway, briefly. I'm just going to throw this out. It's a professor from a university. He's, he's bound by seven demons with seven strong cords, and they're taking him directly to the byway to hell. Just a reminder of the worldly wisdom, what looks like Christianity at the end. Uh, you can still find your direct path to hell. Bunyan wants us to think about this of imposters who make it all the way and fail. He spent some time, I don't have a lot of time to talk about it. He talks about a, young, a man named Little Faith. They have some time on the way, so Pilgrim starts, uh, Christian starts telling Hopeful this story about Little Faith, which it sounds like a really weak guy. He gets beat up by these three men, three brothers that are on your notes. Their name are Faint Heart. Please write these down too. I want you to know these. Faint Heart is the first. F-A-I-N-T, heart, mistrust, and guilt. And these three, three brothers, uh, faint heart, mistrust, and guilt, have affected believers throughout history, he reminds us. And these are just the, the plights all of us face in our Christian life. We are tempted when times get hard to get faint-hearted, to go through periods of fear uh, of whatever it is, we're just designed that way, and we all take our turn. He mentions uh, David and even the Apostle Peter at different times face these same things. People strong in the faith, and uh, then there's mistrust, and that is we slowly start to put our trust in other things in this world rather than on Christ. That happens usually just gradually, and if you're not aware of it, you find yourself so wrapped up and concerned about this thing rather than having our trust set on Christ. And the last one is guilt. Just remembering all of our failures in the past. Uh, don't raise your hand. I know we all have different degrees of guilt because we're all sinners, right? It's all part of our life. It's written in. These things come back and try to slow us down. In this case, in the story of Little Faith, they come and beat him up really well, and he doesn't seem to fight back much. Hopeful is kind of... Uh, kind of throwing them under the bus in the sense that, ah, oh, little faith, he was no good, he didn't have enough strength, he didn't have power, and uh, it's kind of a shameful thing that he didn't fight harder, and, and Christian's really quick to defend him, uh, because little faith, even he was little, he was honest, he was from the town of Sincere, he was a real believer, and, he, and little faith was tenacious, he wasn't going to give up, beaten up, robbed, uh, as he was by the three brothers, he wasn't going, he's going to keep on going, till he makes it to the gate. And so, 
Christian reminds Hopeful that I've been attacked by these three brothers too. And I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. And so he's just reminding us that these, uh, these uh, temptations to not trust in the Lord are common to all of us. And we should be encouraged, even when we're small faith, we, God will still watch over us and protect us and bring us in. So they come along the way to, uh, it's a convergence of paths. So they're walking down this narrow way, and another path comes alongside them, and it divides up. And they wonder, okay, which way are we supposed to go now? This is very confusing. Well, fortunately, maybe, there's an older man there. Uh, he comes up and he says, hey, what's the problem? And they explain to him, he says, well, this is the path to go on. I'm going to the celestial city. Come and follow me. As if this hasn't got them trouble in the past, right? And they think, well, the man's wearing this beautiful white robe. He looks good. Let's follow him. And it says, by degrees, slowly, the path starts moving away from the celestial city. And they begin to think, this doesn't look right. And about that time, they're caught in a net in a snare, and the harder they try to get out of it, the more wrapped up they become in it. The man's robe falls off, and they recognize this must be one of the flatterers tries to get you off the path uh, set there against us, and they begin to cry out, and realizing that they've been caught. The flatterer would represent to us just really someone who would give you false hope, false promises, these are the false teachers that Paul is always writing about in his day, and in our day, they're still as active. Uh, maybe those trying to make you a better you. <laughs> Anything that's moving your focus off of Christ slowly onto something else. I remember this story from the late uh, R.C. Sproul. I was watching the video, and he's doing this Q&A. And, uh, oh, the Q&As are great listen to sometimes. I don't know which conference it was. He talks about being on a train. They're leaving L.A. and they're in this coach car. There's him, an older lady, and a young a young 20-something young lady there. And they don't know who he is, the great theologian. They're just talking about what's going on and they find out, well, what were you doing and what were you doing? And they get to this young lady and they ask her, well, what did you do? Oh, she said, I, I went to an encampment all week, a spiritual enlightenment. And they kind of looked, huh, oh, interesting. And Sproul, she doesn't know who I am, but uh, what did you learn there? What's the most important thing? She said, I learned that I am God. <laughs> he said, the older lady's eyebrow went wet up like this. Like, what did you say? And Sproul just took a breath a minute. God. And it's funny, he, he says he leaned over towards her, he looked at her in the eye, and he said, you don't really think you're God, do you? And she, her face turned really red, and she said, no, I guess not. <laughs> he said a whole week of indoctrination gone out the window <laughs> with just one good question. I really think you're God, do you? Didn't know we were in the bus on the train with deity here. Uh, but she was led away gradually till the end. She was fed something that's ridiculous, right? But you get there by small steps. That's how you get to some of these terrible situations. Um, 
the angels, two angels show up. Here are the, here are the pilgrims caught up in this net. And two angels show up and they release them. And they ask them, how did you get on the wrong path? And they said, well, there's a problem. There's two paths. And they said, didn't the shepherds give you instructions about this? Do we need to go talk to them? <laughs> and they said, oh, yes, you did. They did. Yes, we should have been paying attention. And then the angels do something very difficult for us who might think about. He whips them. He has them get down and he whips them on the back. He basically spanks them. And they receive it joyfully. And there's this note from Bunyan on Hebrews 12. He scourges every uh, child he receives. This is the sign of correction. And they are thankful for it. And they thank him for rescuing them and even for the, uh, the whipping that they needed to have. And you know what? This is a mark of a believer. This is a mark. How far are you allowed to go in the progression of sin before something happens and God pulls you back? We all take a few steps there, okay? How long do we go before God pulls us back and say, ah, no, no, no. Because he disciplines us. He doesn't punish us. He disciplines us for our good. Pastor Bunyan wants us to think about this. He runs across another man called Atheist. They are not tricked by atheists at all. Atheist is very upfront with them saying, you know, there is no celestial city. And he laughs at them. He ridicules them. Um, actually, I had a professor that was very much uh, like this character. Uh, they don't believe him really for a moment uh, because they have actually seen the celestial city through the glass. We know it's there. They're not deceived by him at all, but they exist and they make fun of the faith and think it's ridiculous. Then they reach that area called the Enchanted Ground. The air there naturally makes you sleepy. You don't know anything about that this morning, I hope. Uh, they, they get real, And this time it's hopeful that is the most tempted. He was thinking, brother, wouldn't it be a good idea if we just lay down here and take a short nap? We'll be so invigorated when we wake up. And Christian kind of jumps in and reminds him, do you remember we just got spanked by the angels? <laughs> don't make them come back again. Stay awake, brother. And so they, they don't, they, they keep walking, they don't go to sleep, they avoid that pitfall. Uh, Bunyan here is referencing probably 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's talking about uh, concerning the day of the Lord, we should all remain watchful, be on the alert that we're not being carried away, our minds and hearts are set on Christ, and it's a call to be spiritually alert on where you are at all times, even here towards the end of their life, of their pathway to the celestial city. To keep them awake, um, Christian asks Hopeful, so Hopeful, uh, tell me all about your testimony. Again, this is a common theme you see throughout the book. And I wanted you to, I wrote down these five points here. I wanted you to think about them again. He talks about, this is a really a conversation on the gospel and Hopeful story. He, he was living in Vanity Fair in a very worldly environment. He loved his riotous living, uh, his swearing and his carousing and his lying. 
he's ashamed of those things now. He doesn't brag about them. He's very ashamed of them. But he's telling his story. He's confronted by the scriptures, and he begins to be convicted. And again, fear starts to fall on him. He's worried about uh, dying prematurely. Things are going to kill him. And this, this fear starts to grow in his mind. He, he begins to feel that burden, which is really a sign God is working. Uh, this is a common story you hear along these testimonies. If you remember, Christian's testimony was like this. If you remember, uh, Faithful's testimony was the same path. You hear that. So he's really wanting to think about these common stories. He was confronted with the Bible. Number three, he attempts at reformation, and he begins deceived on good works. So he's trying to do the right thing, and he, wants, he realizes he's not living the righteous life. He feels the burden of his sin, and the natural inclination that we have is to try to do it with our own hands. That I'm going to start being a better me. I'm going to try to knock down uh, my, my sin count. Um, brothers and sisters, we all tend to fall into that. It is, a, it is almost a daily thing. Uh, that if unless our minds are set in the scriptures, we tend to naturally fall into that, I can do it on my own. I can make it right. I, I messed up yesterday, and I'm going to be a better person today, thinking somehow that's going to gain merit in our status with the Lord, and that is not true. But he, number four, he understands his great debt in three ways. I thought this was helpful. One, he began to realize that it was very great. It wasn't as small as he thought. It's very great. Number two, this is kind of different ways of looking at his great debt. Number two, he was unable to repay it because it was so large. There's no way I could ever pay it down. And number three, he realized even his best efforts had some sin mixed into it. So it was impossible for him to make any dent in it. This is the same story we've heard from the other believers. And really, this is our story this is the common pathway of believers. We, we, we have it. I've listed these for you because I want you to think about where you are now. Where are you in your embracing of the gospel? Is it fully in front of you without a works idea? That is part of it. Think about that. Uh, he is converted by a meeting with faithful in prison before he loses his life. And... We're going to read, if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Just a reminder, uh, all the way through, Bunyan is re reminding us of the gospel. He's referring to Abraham in this section. And how it was credited to Abraham as righteousness, Romans 4, verse 23, it says, Now not only for his sake only was it written that it was credited for him, but God made this promise to Abraham for who? For us, for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, the resurrection. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Our being declared righteous required Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection. Uh, this is the, the groundwork, the hope of the gospel that Bunyan doesn't want us to lose track of. Well, guess who they run into again next? They run into ignorance again. And they try to convince him that his 
efforts are futile, that he is going down the wrong path. Um, I, I had this one quote here. I don't know if I have time to read it. I think I might. Um, listen to Ignorance's response. See if you can figure out what's wrong with this. Uh, this is from Cheryl Ford's version of the book. They're trying to convince him that works won't get you to heaven. He says, Ignorance says, I believe that Christ died for sinners. Pretty good. And that I shall be justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance, so far, of my obedience. My obedience, of his law. Or, if that is not enough, Christ will make my religious duties acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits, so I shall be justified. You notice in that section, you don't have it in front of you, but he mentions me twice. My works and my religious duties. Anytime your testimony starts with my, not that it can't, but it can't be the basis of your salvation. It's got to be his. <laughs> what did he do? And what is he crediting to you, his righteousness that you can't earn? Uh, it's a very important mark that we need to have in our mind. He makes it to a place called Beulah Land. Just like the name says, it is it's like a mini paradise. Uh, they finally make it to Beulah Land. Um, it's beautiful, it's safe. The sun shines there day and night. Uh, there is no night there. They are, in most regards, safe from people that will come after them, from pits uh, and uh, those kind of temptations. Uh, they're on the border of heaven. They could see the city, and as bright as it was, they could make out some shining ones walking along the top, and their hearts began to beat fast. Uh, the two shining ones, two angels come and meet them there and welcome them, uh, and they ask them, well, don't leave. Can you stay with us? Can you walk with us along the way here? And they are happy to do that, but this area is, is uh, the king's. And it's right upon the border. But they remind them that you have two obstacles left in front of you. And we cannot help you with those. You'll have to rely on your faith in Christ. On yours, not ours. And they come to a very famous section called the River of Death. If you know the story, this represents uh, really the physical death of our mortal bodies. The pilgrims are naturally fearful of going through this river and they asked the angels how deep is it and the angel said it depends on your faith how deep it is depends on how much you're going to trust the lord as you walk through it um, but they talked for a while and then they began to say no there is no other way and angels remind them there's no other way this is the path this is the right path and they begin to wade out into the water. And the water starts to come up, and it's moving quickly. And it's not hopeful, but it's Christian. It's the pilgrim that has the most trouble at this point. He begins to cry out that he, he can't get his footing. He, the waters are coming up, and he doesn't feel like he's going to make it. Uh, hopeful is there to encourage him. Hopeful doesn't seem to have as much trouble with it. And Pastor Bunyan is telling us something here. 
Uh, death is handled differently by each person. Uh, it's still a walk of faith like everything else. I've had the, the opportunity to be with people at this phase of their life and seen it done faithfully. Really, that's the only way I've seen it done. But uh, it is a sobering thought to think about. And it's Christian who has the problem. He becomes disoriented. He becomes despondent and confused. And he begins to say things faithlessly, faithless comments that uh, his sin is too high, is too great. Uh, it's overwhelming me. I won't be accepted. Hopeful is there to remind him, yes, but we don't put our faith in ourselves. It's in Christ. He keeps trying to redirect his mind, to set your mind on what Christ has done. He says, look, I can see the gates. Look, I see the king. Stay focused. And Christian is having trouble. And he tells him, but I can feel the bottom. And it's sure you're going to make this. And Christian is given some grace. And he feels the rocks under his feet. And he feels firm. And he is able to walk through the river and make it to the other side. They begin to come out rejoicing that they've made it this far and made it through the river. And as they come out, something's changed. It says their mortal clothes have been left behind them. Their bodies are different. Um, they're not glorified yet, really, but, but they are eternal. It's, it's different. They have passed through the river of death. They come to the gates then of the celestial city. Ha, ah, finally, we make it. And there is, uh, he describes the, the, the gold and the gems and just the beauty of the place and the brightness of it. And the gates open, they, there's a procession that comes out to meet them with trumpeters, it's like a parade and they're just rejoicing with them and they're singing and there's shouts from the top of the city and they, they walk with them and the two angels walk with them to the front and they ask them for their certificates. And we've got them. He hands over to them the documents of their faith in Christ. And in a sense, they say it takes them to the king. And the king says, open the gates and let these men come in. That's a beautiful uh, ending of the book. And I was going to read this last section here. I wouldn't be able to explain it without you hearing about it, this glad procession to the gate. He says, the king says, gave the command, open the gate that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. So I saw in my dream, this is the narrator Bunyan saying, that these two men went in at the gate and they entered. They were suddenly and gloriously transfigured. The clothes they now wore shone like gold. They were met and they were presented with harps and crowns, the harps to give praise to the king, and the crowns were bestowed on them for their own honor. And I heard in my dream that all the bells of the city rang out again for joy. And I heard it said, Enter into the joy of the Lord. I could also hear Christian and hopeful, along with the multitude singing with loud voices, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So just as the gates fully opened to let these men in, I looked in after them. I could see the city shone like the sun, and the streets were paved with gold, and on them walked many saints 
with crowns on their heads, palm branches in their hands, and they were playing golden harps. They were singing to the Lord. I could also see there were those that had wings. And they addressed one another continually, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And he closes with this, And I wish that I myself was among them who I had seen. But after this, the gates were closed. Jumping into the story here, reminding him, he's, he's straining to look in, but it's not his time yet. And it's not our time yet either. But we should have that kind of desire to catch one last glimpse so when it's our turn, we can make it. Psalm 1611 says, uh, it's a good passage to think about here at the end. You will make known to me the path of life. There's the idea of this narrow way, the path of our life. And God makes it clear to us how we should walk in faith. In your presence is fullness of joy. What kind of joy? Fullness of joy. A joy we don't know yet. We only taste. And a lot on Sunday morning. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. He reminds us it's by the Lord's strength that he provides for us. He keeps our promises sure. His strong, righteous right hand provides what we need. He makes sure that we make it to the end. Amen? So you get this picture, you close with this joyous uh, story, and then something sobering happens. You think that you're done, you're ready to close the book, and then you get a picture of ignorance. I told you he comes back. And here he comes, and he's just prancing along, you might say. He comes to the river of death, and he realizes, no, can't do that. So he finds a boatman who's far down the river that can take him the wrong way. And so he makes it across the river with his mortal clothes. He goes up to the gate, knocks on the gate, and no one comes out to meet him except someone's at the gate saying, who is there? He tells him who he is, and he says, can we see your documents? I don't have any documents. He says, why should we let you in? And he says, well, he goes through the litany of things that he's done for the Lord and how he heard him in the streets and he did the right things. And they said, well, we'll ask the king. And the king gives them the command to take this man out of here. And the angels come and take ignorance and take him to the byway to hell. So this is how the book actually ends. <laughs> this sobering reminder, most don't make it. <laughs> And be assured, brothers and sisters, set your mind on Christ. Because if you do, he assures you that you will make it. Your promises are there if your mind is set on him. Um, I was asking about what the overall themes were that you could take away from Pilgrim's Progress. There are many. For those of you who, who pay close attention, I asked Stephen earlier what some of his thoughts about it. And, and he, he was mentioning, I agree, a, a desire for godliness of living a life pleasing to the Lord. Um, these things we want to do set on Christ, our faith set there. Several things, though, also I would mention is the importance of the transforming grace of the gospel. He takes us where we are, and the process begins through trials and tribulations to conform us to his image. 
And the trials and the difficulties and the escapes from death and the giant's despair, they, they may look random, but they're all part of your story that God is transforming you and using them to make you more like Christ. And when you're there and you look back today, you will see clearer that God was working even through the hardest moments when I thought I was going to give up. Somehow these things were working out for my good. It's also a, a lesson on discernment. If you notice all along the way, he's giving you different options of what Christianity could be like, maybe. And he wants you to engage your powers of discernment. He assumes you know the word of God well enough that you'll either stop and look it up or you know what he's talking about. But he's given all these options to think about. What is wrong with that person's faith? And the names tell you, and then you study their theology and their statements, and you realize how they've departed from the true gospel, and then you look at yourself, and you say, okay, how am I moving away from the gospel? So discernment is very important. And then the importance of the church, like I said again and again from the beginning all the way towards the end, is the importance of being a part of a body where you receive and you give encouragement to one another and where you fellowship and develop your taste and your hope in heaven. And a lot of that is done right here together. And again, I would say the last thing here is it always reminds us that our faith is a forward-looking faith. We have our minds set in heaven. We endure today whatever it is that we have because heaven is in our sights. And we don't want to lose track of that. We, we have these great promises that God has given us. So, praise the Lord for that. And we are five minutes left. I can't believe we got through all that. It's been a great study. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope it's an encouragement for you to pick up the book. There's so many parts that Bunyan mentions, and you just have to keep on moving. You, just, you don't have time to stop and see everything, and you can't really cover it in, in five weeks. So, praise the Lord. Hope you are encouraged about that. And to read part two. If you remember, Christiana is coming next. This is his wife. If you want to read that book, that's, I'm told, and I haven't. Uh, I've read parts of it. It's, uh, it's just as good as the first. So I'm looking forward to looking at that in the next coming month. So let's praise the Lord for that, and let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the grace and the mercy that we are uh, encouraged about uh, from this pastor and his book. Lord, it is not your word, but Lord, it refers us to it. And I pray, Father, that we would take the messages of your word seriously, that we would uh, see our lives under your care and your transforming grace. May we rely on your promises and we'd set our mind on heaven. I pray you'd help us with that. And Lord, do you pray for this morning as we uh, go forward into service that you would prepare our hearts to learn and to grow uh, with uh, Pastor Dan's teaching. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.